title of the message today is The Pursuit of Happiness. And so if you have your Bibles and you would turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, verse 8 through 11. I just want to spend a moment talking and looking at King Solomon and what he's given us to reflect on with this idea of the pursuit of happiness. And so the scriptures read in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8 and 11. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And so it's so important that we look at the background of this. We understand that King Solomon was the son of David and that David was a man after God's own heart, and God used David to help reestablish and bring the nation of Israel back together, and he was the second king of Israel, and then his son would become king. And so before David's passing, he prayed over his son. He charged him to be strong and courageous, to trust God in everything that you do. Allow him to direct your path. Continue to stay with God because David had made some mistakes and he said, son, God is the way. Follow him. Trust his plan." And so Solomon, when he was you know, thinking about this and belaboring what he would do as king, he, the, the Lord came to him and said, what can I do for you? And he prayed and he asked God to give him a wise and discerning heart to help him to be a man. He said, I'm but like a little child. I don't know how to go in and come out. He said, help me to lead your people. Give me your wisdom, Lord. And so the Lord gave him wisdom and blessed him, and he's considered to be one of the wisest men, if not the wisest man that ever lived. But we see something here in the book of Ecclesiastes that, that Solomon is going through the trying stage. Anybody ever been in the trying stage where you just try anything and everything, trying to figure it out? You try a little bit of this, you try a little bit of that, you throw some Creole sauce on it, and it don't really, it just flavors it up, but it don't make it truly any better. It just gives you a little taste. And so he was in the trying stage. He was trying anything and everything. So Solomon is now given a summation of his findings. He's given a report. He's writing that he's tried it all, that he's went after it all. But let me tell you what I found out after I tried anything and everything. 
after pursuing and running after. See, that word, the pursuit of happiness, means to run after, to, to, to chase after, that we're trying to figure out the action of following or pursuing someone or something and in efforts to obtain it. And so he's examining these things of this world and the satisfaction of the things he comes up with a couple of conclusions. See, we understand through the scripture that as much as Solomon had, he was not always happy. See, he had a whole lot of stuff. He tried many things, but it didn't give him the peace and the joy that he was looking for, that he was hoping for. And so he had times that he was down, right sad and depressed, you read some stuff in the scriptures, see, God lets us see it. And you start thinking, man, Solomon, get a grip. What's going on? Why are you so toe up from the flow up? Because, see, we can be seeking things, desiring and hoping for a, 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 an expected result, but if we're not trusting in the Lord in all things, then we're not going to get the result we expect that it's going to be futile, that it's going to fall on dead ground. See, the reality of it is, is mankind has an insatiable appetite for stuff. Would you agree? That we go and we seek and desire to be fulfilled by all these things, even our goals and our challenges in life. And maybe you've had some goals and you've had some, some things that you try to achieve. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, is this all it is? What? I did all this work and that's it? And so you could easily say that Solomon was not fulfilled by the things that he produced within his own work and his own ability. And so we see a quote, when we seek our own happiness first and God's will second, we, fall, we fail to find the fulfillment we truly seek. Let me say that again. When we seek our own happiness and God's will second, we fail to find the fulfillment we truly seek. And so what is the pursuit of happiness? I want you to know that it's not the 2006 Will Smith motion picture movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-S, where he escapes poverty and becomes a rich stockbroker. See, we can escape a lot of things from this, in this world. But if we stay in this world, we will never escape the sentence of this world. And it's so important that we allow God to be our refuge, that he is our way maker, that we can trust in him and so let's take a moment to define happiness. We can look at the book of Psalms, chapter 144, verse 15. Here is what King and Father David said about happiness. In Psalms 144, verse 15, it says, Happy is that people that is in such a case 
such a situation, yes, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. That he's your Lord. That you have chosen him. See, the Bible has that word happy in it. He said, happy is the people that this is your situation, that this is your case, that you're standing on the promises of God, that he's your lot, that he's your refuge, that he's your strong tower. The Bible says the righteousness run into it. The word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. And so David is reminding us that happy is that people. See, that word happy in the Hebrew origin means Asherah. In the Old Testament, the word Asherah means the well-being, the flourishing and the happiness that God would has your well-being, that God it will flourish you, that don't think you can do it for yourself, that you are not a master of me, myself, and I, that you are not the captain of your soul, that God is the way maker, that he is the one that flourishes. He is the one that provides our well-being. And he is the one that makes us happy beyond measure. So this same formula for Asherah is used in the New Testament with the word makiros, the Greek equivalent of Asherah. And thus Asherah and makiros is making an appeal to true happiness and flourishing through obedience within the gracious covenant of God that he gives to his people. You know that if you proclaim the name of Christ, if you surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God made a covenant with you, and it's a gracious covenant. It's a covenant of promise. See, he began it in the, in, with the Abrahamic covenant. We see that in Genesis 12 and fif, in, in, in Genesis 15, where this is the most central to the, to the biblical story, that God didn't want you to die in your trespasses and sin, that, that he told Abraham something. And this is what he said, God promises Abraham a land. God promises Abraham descendants. And God promises Abraham blessings. And God is bringing about his divine plan even today. And so we have also, as we look in the New Testament, a new covenant. And so God gave his covenant to, to Abraham, but he wanted to fulfill it in Christ. That we would have a home not made with hands. And that we would have a descendants that comes from royalty, that his name is Christ. And that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And that we would be blessed. See that word happy also means blessed. That we would be blessed of God. And so we see the new, new covenant this coming day would bring forgiveness of sins. Internal renewal of the heart. And an intimate knowledge of God. That it wouldn't just be a head knowledge. It wouldn't just be that we are knowing of him, but that we would know him in the pardoning of our sins. That we would know him in the treasure of our heart. And that we would hold on 
to his unchanging hand. And so Jesus Christ himself institutes this at the Lord's Supper. Let's just look at that a little bit that we see in the book of Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 14 through through 16. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, Jesus is saying something there, saints. He said, I've desired to give you newness of life. I've desired that all of your sins would be forgiven. I desired that this cup of sin and death would pass over you. And so he says this, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So do you know that Jesus Christ is waiting for you? He's preparing a place for you. He loves you so much that he's made a covenant promise that he is the fulfillment of that promise. And that he is, that there will be a faithful day that we will rejoice with the Lord, that we will be glorified with the Lord, that we will stand in his presence and he will say it is finished. It is well done. It has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God stands sure. And so he's reminding us to trust him, to hold on to him, to not give up, that pers- to pursue him and his joy, not the joy of this world, because it's fleeting. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so we need to talk about that a little bit. Look what Solomon is illustrating here a little bit closer in the book of Ecclesiastes. He uses that word, I get, and that means gathered or accumulated. See, the reality of it is that we've, most of us would say we've gathered and accumulated way too much stuff. I got boxes upon boxes I'm still trying to get rid of. And so, Solomon is speaking about that. He said, I got or gathered or accumulated all of these things, all of these treasures, all of these earthly vessels. He goes on to say in verse 9, my wisdom remained. See, the Bible tells us to be not wise in our own eyes, to fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, Solomon still was kind of, he's like, I, I still remain wise. And I believe God is saying a little bit of this as we look at that, that Solomon knew full well what he was doing. That he was able to look at it and see that this is probably not good for me. This is not the way of the Lord. But he did it anyhow. Maybe we've been there. Maybe we've been down that road a little bit. He went on to say, my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And so he's speaking about all the things that he's done and how he's looked at them and they've been good to him. And he's rejoiced in his labor. He went on, as we can see in the scripture, look at what the work of my hands had wrought, had worked out. 
have figured out. See, our work is not wrought in us. It's wrought in Christ and Christ alone. And yes, he gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. But they're all for the intended purpose to give him glory. To not be for ourselves. But I really want to focus on those next two pieces that we see. He said, behold, all was vanity. See, the Hebrew word translated vanity is referring to something empty, futile, meaningless, of no substance, or of no lasting value. It's not going to last. Anything that we do outside of what we do for God will not last. And so he said, it's all vanity. But then he makes that statement, and vexation of spirit. See, it's so important that we understand that. See, that word vexation is defined as it's confusion. It's longing for, the spirit is longing for something. It's in distress. The spirit is unsettled. And even an object of terror. You ever had a moment when you were just doing what you wanted to do and you were doing, how, doing it how you wanted to do it and you felt a little terror? You felt a little, oh man, maybe your hairs rolled up on the back of your neck and you were like, I shouldn't be doing this. See, the Spirit is warning us. It's cautioning us. Don't go that way. And then also that vexation of spirit means crushing, that there's a, there's a heavy weight. See, yeah, th- th- when we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us, we can't just do anything. It's not like before Christ, before we knew him, that we could run. We were by nature the children of wrath. We could run and do, we might, we have a consciousness of, of doing wrong. But it didn't sway us like once we come into Christ. And we feel that heaviness when we're outside of the will of God. And so he's saying it's vexation of spirit. But let me go a little bit farther so that we can really understand this. See, a vexation of, vexation of spirit is a suppression of the spiritual guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is trying to lead, guide you into all spiritual truth. And so he's, when he says this vexation of spirit, there's a suppression of that. Have you ever had a time where you felt like you just couldn't hear from God? That it wasn't, that he didn't feel as close as he once was? See, that's what he's, he's talking about a little bit, that that's the vexation of spirit. And it's a trial that causes one to question their faith. Where are we in our trust and obedience to him? Or draw them away from their faith in God through Christ Jesus. See, the vexation of spirit is tugging and pulling to draw us away from him. Like Paul had said, the things that I want to do, I do not. That we're being told. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
See, once you come to Christ, it, 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 God loves you so much that he chastens us. He corrects us. He rebukes us. But he always is there to help us back up and to lead us in the way of righteousness. So when we engage in the indulgence of this world, suppression of the spirit is the result. Look what Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17 says. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. See, there's a wrestling, there's a, there's a fighting against the flesh and the spirit. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. See, if we're not walking in the spirit, we cannot do the things that, of God that he has divinely planned for us. We must walk in the spirit. We must do the things of God so that our spirit won't be suppressed and trust him through it. So all of the Bible's vision for human flourishing, both now and in the age to come, either assumes or express, expressively states this fact. We are irresistibly drawn into the covenant of grace by God and are healed in that covenant by his power alone. Did you hear that, saints? He draws us into that covenant of grace and we are healed in it by his power. And so that's good news for the saints. And so we are to... to Rest in him, to dwell in him, to allow him to be our way maker and to keep us. That we don't pull away from it. God loves you so much that it ain't going to be an easy pull, I'm going to tell you. If you try to run from God, he loves you so much that he's going to chase you down. He ain't going to force himself on you. But he loves you just that much. Yes, the Bible makes it clear that those in the covenant have responsibilities. We have a covenant of grace, but we have responsibilities. When we are faithful to those responsibilities, we experience Asherah, his happiness, his well-being, his fulfillment, and we flourish in it. So what's the profit of our time here on this earth? What is the value? Do we truly make a difference that pursues happiness through the riches of God and the blessings that come from God are through us and us alone? But when we choose God, the result is blessings upon blessings. The Bible says the last shall be first, but if we seek to put ourselves first, we'll be last. So it's important that we, we make this note. Happiness is biblical. You see it in the book of Psalms 144. And God desires to bless us in the context 
of him being the center of our life. But it's so important that we understand that word of happiness. That it's not for us to enjoy all the things that, 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 that this world can offer, but that we would be in him. That we would rest, rule, and abide in him. And so it's important to talk about the difference between joy and happiness that we see in this everyday thinking. See, the word happiness means something different to the world than it means to the saint of God. You may notice the Bible often uses the word joy instead of happiness. These two words are often used interchangeably, but they are not exactly the same. There was a lifestyle mentor by the name of Rachel Fernley. She describes the difference between joy and this earthly happiness in this way. Joy is more consistent and is, and is cultivated internally. See, there's an internal process that, be, that, is, that occurs. It comes when you make peace with who you are, saints of God. Why you are that God has a plan and a purpose and how you are, that he created you uniquely with a divine plan in mind and that you would know him, that you're fashioned in the image of God, whereas happiness tends to be extremely triggered and is based on other people, other things, places, thoughts, and events as we look at it in this world. But as we look at it from God's viewpoint, as we saw in Psalms 1 and 4, happiness is that people whose God is the Lord. That he's our master, that he's our savior, and not anything else. That we make him first. First with God, we can have inner happiness even when we are in difficult situations. If he's first. Everything doesn't have to be right in your, in your world for you to experience the feeling of being happy, blessed, and joyful. If you keep your eye on the big picture, it's easier to rise above the trials and tribulations of life and still find reasons to be happy, to be joyful. If you keep your focus on God and eternity, it is easier to experience the happiness even in changing times. You know, that's, that's the only constant you're going to have in this world is changing times. We've seen that full, on full display over these last two years. But God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there's two comparisons of men that I just want to share with you today. I was uh, spending some time just reading, and some of you probably know that I'm a, I'm a football fan. I, 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 I like uh, you know, watching football and listening to commentary. And so one of the you know, uh, commentaries that I was listening to this past week was the, this football star, and I'm not going to give any names, but he's very rich, 
He probably has more money than he would ever know what to do with. And they were telling the story how he's pushing his family away and separating himself, and he's upset and not excited about what's going on uh, in, in the dynamics of football. And he just seems to have a very poor spirit right now. He seems to just be just unhappy and grumbling about things. And so as I, I, I spent some time just thinking about it, I, I, I read a portion of an article that talked about his faith, that he grew up in a Christian home, that he, his mom and dad, and they, they brought him to church and they taught him about Christ. And so he had something to say about his faith. And I just want to share this disheartening news with you. He talked about religion a little bit, and he said, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be crushing. It can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. I'm listening to this. He's talking about religion. See, so often we can get caught up in the religion of men when God so desires that we have a relationship with him. And it's not about religion. It's all about relationship. That we can come here every Sunday for the next hundred years and miss it. That God so desires that we be in relationship with him. He went on to say, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. And I just stopped. And I needed to pray for him because he was missing it. He was missing how much God loved him. That those were not God's words. Those were the words of men. That God didn't come to condemn the world. See, we, we understand John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But if we're not careful, we miss verse 17. Of that very same chapter in John 3, see it says, For God sent not his Son to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we don't serve a condemning God, but we serve a saving God. He didn't send Christ to condemn, but to save. But then I also met a man by the name of Eric, who is a Liberian refugee. This man grew up in a family. He never had anything, nothing. He lived in a one-room hut with 
dirt floor. They had one bed made of clay that his mom and dad slept in. And they would get up. Their teaching and their education was to go and work on the farm that was three miles and more away each and every day. He would get up and his seven brothers and sisters and they would go to the farm and never having any formal education. And they would teach his brothers and his sisters how to tend to making meals. And this was their life. And we know that in the early 80s, around that time, that a civil war broke out in Liberia. He was 12 years old. And they couldn't go anywhere of risk of being killed or, 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 or being captured. And so his mom asked him to go fishing, to go get some food because they were starving. They didn't have a refrigerator. They couldn't store up their food. It was a day-by-day encounter. And so he left and went to go fishing. And on his way back, he was captured by the rebels. And they told him, and they went to him, and they said, are you with us or against us? Are you going to join the army with us? And he said, no, I didn't want to join the army. So they beat him, and they tortured him. They wrapped his arms, entwined so tightly that as I was talking to him, I could see the scars on each of his arms. And he said, they... they Two days passed, and they said, time is over. Either you're going to be with us, or we're going to kill you. And so he, he said, okay, I'm going to be with you. And they cut his ropes. And when they cut his ropes, his arms felt limb because he had been constricted for two days. He didn't have any life in his arm. He couldn't do anything. And the leader of the rebel group, who was 15 years old, said, okay, just leave him. And the guys were kind of like, well, shouldn't we kill him? And they were like, no, just leave him. He can't do anything. He's, he's no threat to us. Just leave him. So God spared his life. And he went. He was trying to get back home, but he couldn't get back home because they were pushing all the refugees and all the people up north. So this man spent 20 years away from his family, from the age of 12. He spent 14 years in a refugee camp, moving from 11 different refugee camps over that 14 years. And he told me he was, there was a day there would always be missionaries and, and preachers coming in when you couldn't have formal religion in the, in the camps because that is what had caused war in their country. But you had these faithful missionaries that would come at 4 o'clock in the morning to 6.30 and they allowed them to preach the gospel. And he never really paid attention to it until one Christmas morning because that was the one day they got enough to eat. That was the one day when so many people gave and, 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 and they felt good about it. And on this particular day, Nobody had given. They didn't have much. And he was angry. And he was upset. And he's laying in that tent, and then he hears this gentleman 
proclaiming the gospel. And he asks several questions. He asks him, how is your life working out for you? How's things going in your own ability? Have you been able to take care of yourself? Have you been able to do it for yourself? Have you been able to rescue and save yourself? And each question he asks, he said, no, no, no. He said, but Christ came that you would be saved. And so on that moment, Eric accepted Christ. He asked Christ for, into his life. He went out of that tent. He met the gentleman. The gentleman said, I have nothing for you. I don't have any money. I don't ha- even have a Bible for you. But I know that God loves you and that he'll provide for you. You can trust him. And so Eric believed that, and he, he started stepping out, and, and God started opening doors, so much so that in 2006, they had a program to be able to come to the United States. And the conditions of that program were two primary conditions, that you had to have proof that you had been tortured. But that was easy for him because he had marks across his arm and all over his back to show that he had been tortured. And the second condition is that you had to have been in the refugee camp for at least 10 years. And he had been there for 14. And so he was admitted into the program to come to the United States. And the place that he was brought to was Lafayette, Louisiana. And let me tell you what his first words were as he's looking around at everything and seeing all that we have. He said, wow, this is the greatest country in the world. This is a land of kings. There is so much here. And so he had been reading and he had been studying and he had saw Nehemiah. How Nehemiah had been brought into captivity, how he had been broken, he had been, but he had a desire for his people. And so God spoke to his heart, just like he spoke to Nehemiah, to go back and restore and rebuild the land. And so he started sharing that, that I believe that God has sent me here amongst this land of kings that have so much that it would be able to restore my land. So he went about sharing that with others. The first couple of folks he shared it with, they say, you crazy. You only been here, you don't even fully speak the language. You need to learn how to speak the language. You need to get a job. You need to do all these things. But God had laid it on his heart. See, he was pursuing after something that God would be the Lord of his people. Just as he was the Lord of him. And so he started an organization called Change Agent Network. And so maybe you saw an email that came out last night that the the, the very thing that God is doing in and through him right now is bring the word of God to the people of Liberia. That God is the answer. 
that he is the hope for tomorrow. And so you may have received that email, and, hope, and maybe you have a Bible at your house. And maybe, he, he said, one of the things that he was starting to see that Americans have like 10, 15 Bibles all around their house. When there are people that don't even, have never even seen a Bible. And so the initiative that I hope that we are excited about and partnering with is that we would look in our cabinets. Maybe some of you brought it today. Maybe you have a Bible that you can share with somebody, anybody. That just as God has given us true joy through pursuing him, that we would share, share that with somebody else. So we're going to think bold. We're going to be courageous for God. We're going to trust God and allow him. Maybe somebody's going to see one of your Bibles, and they're going to see that you wrote in there and what you said, and they're going to be blessed because of you. And so the pursuit of happiness is all about pursuing God. Not the things of this world. Because remember those two comparisons. There's a rich man with a whole lot of stuff. He doesn't have that peace. There's a poor man in this world who's rich beyond measure. And God has blessed him to be in a land of kings. And so that we would give. Because we have been blessed. And we have that joy, that happiness, that is the greatest thing, the greatest treasure, the greatest of everything that we have, that it's in the Lord. And we get to share it with somebody. 